Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Matt Frazier here with episode 12 of No Meat Athlete Radio, joined as always by my co-host Doug Hay. Hey Doug. How you doing? Doing pretty well, and uh, I'm excited for tonight's episode. We're actually recording at night tonight for the first time, uh, I think, ever, so that's yeah. that's kind of fun for us. It won't really be that fun for the listeners because it's uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll still be published like any other one. But uh, we have a special guest tonight uh, who is someone I think both you and I are very excited to talk to. His name is Rich Roll. Obviously, he needs not too big an introduction, I'm sure. Uh, he's the author of the book Finding Ultra, which came out sometime around this time last year, I think. And yep. uh, he has a pretty amazing story about about um, you know change. He had a he. We'll let him tell the thing in his in its entirety, of course. But basically, he he was out of shape and uh, not happy with a lot of things in his life. So I think around the age of 40, and within a very short time. Uh, Ended up completing an Ultraman, which is which is like a double Ironman distance triathlon, roughly spread over three days, um, and you know got named by Men's Men's Journal or Men's Fitness or something as as one of the 25 fittest men in the world, uh, and he did this in such you know such a short period of time and after the age of 40, that just seemed like somebody really cool to talk to, and we met him up in D.C. when we were there for the uh, the Veg Fest last, I think it was September, and he stopped yeah. by our our little booth there because he was a speaker and um, came by, little photo op type thing with Rich. So he's gonna be on in a few minutes. Um, in the meantime, we're just gonna kind of do what we do and uh, talk about whatever whatever sort of you know things we can kind of tie into Rich here. So um, I guess before we get started, we had. A nice little success with our last episode. We hit um, number five in the iTunes store. In, that's right in the uh, in the health category, and and I think a couple other little like you know subsets of that. Yep. So that was very cool, and um, I imagine that we brought in a lot of new people from that, some new listeners. Um. So for those of you who are new, just um, it's I mean, and I realized this the other day that we never really said this, but it, this is the No Meat Athlete Radio podcast, and it's it's kind of a derivative of the No Meat Athlete blog, which is at nomeatathlete.com. And, you know, I, I imagine there are probably some podcast listeners here who don't realize that there's a blog that's really like what this is kind of all based on. So anyway, we talk about um, vegetarian, vegan diets for fitness. Doug and I are both runners. Uh, we've both been marathoners and more recently become ultra runners. And we just kind of get on here for an hour or so every couple weeks and Try to make something that is not the most boring thing you've ever listened to during your long run. Um, I don't, I don't. Is that how you would describe the show? I mean, what else, what else, Doug makes 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 us yeah. us. Well, um, you know, I think we try to we try to focus some on fitness and some on um, health and diet and that kind of thing, and you know, just trying to all around live a better, healthier life and do it on a vegetarian vegan diet and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We've had some fun guests and having yeah. a good time. And we don't like to be like, like we don't throw red paint on people and make them think that it's blood or whatever. That <laughs> we definitely stay away from that kind of stuff. Uh, we want people to like us, basically. So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't. 
that, such that, a, that, you're you're such a people pleaser, man. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I know exactly. <laughs> so anyway, um, so if if that's interesting to you, I mean, you you might already be subscribed to the show. Please, uh, of course, and we say this all the time, but you know, please go subscribe to the show on iTunes. That really matters a lot for us and and for how many people see the show, how we get good ratings, like we did last weekend or two weekends ago, whenever that was. And, uh, you know, do the whole rate review thing. That really helps us a lot. I know it takes 30 seconds and, and is annoying, but um, it's tremendously helpful. And we're going to have a, a giveaway later on with uh, some books that Rich, Rich is hooking us up with. They're coming out with the paperback edition of Finding Ultra, which is a great book. And uh, it's we're going to be able to give away a few of those. And we'll have some sort of in – the, in the post attached to this blog, you know, this podcast, another reason to go check out nomeatathlete.com. Um, we'll give the details of what, what the giveaway is. And my gut tells me that you're going to have to leave us a review and rating <laughs> on iTunes in order to be entered. Ooh. But we'll see. We'll see about the details. So anyway, um, <clears throat> not really too much going on in our lives. I had just kind of a typical week where <laughs> your wife has a baby and you go uh, to the hospital and all that. Yeah. So nothing nothing too out of the ordinary here. Um, so you're home from the hospital, right? Your your wife had. I am home. Yep. This is not this is not live from the hospital or anything like that. Uh, we are home. We got home yesterday afternoon. We were only there for, a, uh, I guess, a full day and a half, which is relatively nice. short. Yeah, it was nice. And it's nice being there. I actually like the time in the hospital after we had a baby. Well, this is our second child, by the way. And uh, it's, yeah, it's fun. And this place we went to, Mission Hospital, had, had really good vegan options and, like, locally roasted coffee in the cafeteria, which is just really strange for a hospital. But that's kind of how Asheville is. Is that the main hospital in Asheville? Yep, it's it's the main hospital accounts for about ninety nine percent of the jobs in Nashville too. It's either like <laughs> struggling artist or or hospital employee or blogger. I'm like the point one oh, yeah. of that. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's all new and fun and it's wonderful and and as I said on Facebook, I'm extremely grateful that that it all went well and that my wife and the baby are happy and I mean sorry that they're healthy and of course that everyone's happy as a result of that. So. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of been, been what's going on with me for the past few days. And it's, it has impacted my training slightly. I've missed like the past three days of running. Today was my first day back actually. And, um, felt kind of tired, believe it or not, after just three huh. days off. Yeah, it was, it was kind of odd. Well, it's been a, it's been a long three days, I'm sure. Lots it has. On. Yep. Yep. I've been extremely tired, not just with running, but, uh, that, you know, just kind of wears you out. That sort of emotional Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So what's new with you, Doug? Before we get into rich roll stuff and our our topic of the day. Um. Well, you know, some people might be interested in. So on in the last podcast we had on Leave About the Witches, uh, and we were talking about the seven day vegan challenge. Um. And as listeners probably know, I myself have been vegetarian for several years, but was never a vegan. Um. And I took the challenge, and um, I'm happy to report that. We are still doing well. Me and my fiance have um, been vegan inside the house, which is great. So everything we cook um, has been vegan. And outside the house, we haven't quite um, made that step fully, but we've definitely been choosing more vegan options and that kind of thing. And it's been it's been a great um, journey. It's been really fun. And I think that this approach of kind of taking steps rather than going all in was is helping us out a lot. Um, and you know, I think naturally, you know meals will transition out the more we get involved you know the more vegan meals we cook in the house the less we're gonna 
want to eat outside the house and that kind of thing. So it's been good. Yeah, that's I like that strategy. That's something that we did not like officially do. We never said for now on we only eat vegan in the house and outside we we can still have have cheese or whatever. Right. Um, but that but we did do that for for you know I I would guess it was several months in a row of pretty much doing that. We just kind of stopped buying cheese. We kind of stopped wanting to buy cheese, so we just didn't. But uh-huh. then every once in a while, you know, I think we would actually we would make exceptions if we would like order pizza in the house. That would kind of be counted as eating out. Yeah. But we stopped buying it and stopped cooking it, which was fairly easy to do. I mean, it's not hard if you're already cooking vegetarian to just, right. just choose the smaller, you know, exactly. the smaller set of recipes that are vegan. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, and I and I'm I'm all about small steps. Everything we've kind of talked about with habit change and with Leo last week and and other times on this podcast we've had kind of. Uh, a lot of discussion about habit change, and it's something that I've paid a lot of attention to over the past year. And that's that. You know, every once in a while, there's someone who who does extremely well with like dramatic, drastic change. And I guess Rich is going to be one of these people once we talk to him, if if you know his story from from Finding Ultra or anywhere else. But right. for so many people, it seems to be small steps are the key because it's kind of what like the big hurdle is is just. Basically, the way to change a habit is to make it really, really hard to fail the habit. Like, like just make it really easy and not hard. Don't overestimate your willpower. That's what everyone seems to do, and, and everyone kind of has the idea that they can, you know, that they'll be able to put up with the tough moments, and they try to take on too much at once. So that's, that's right. like, the hugest theme of habit change seems to be make it as easy on yourself as possible and as gradual as possible. And in some ways that, you know, it kind of, it feels less, less sexy or less dramatic because, yeah. you know, you, you're, if your end goal is to go vegan, why would you only go half vegan, um, you know, but, right. you know, it's not as, it's not as cool as, you know, going all the way, but, you know, more, you're more likely to fail or, you know, you, you know, some people may have a lot more issues and I think that that would have been us. So, you know, I think that taking steps, um, whether it's with health or, diet or whatever, you know, and transitioning into it is much more um, realistic and practical. It is. And you're, and you're right. It's not, it's not sexy. And it's also like, it feels like you're not making any progress. Like if someone, if, if your goal is to go out and run a marathon and you're, you like, let's say you're sitting on the couch and, and you don't do any exercise. And then you say, you decide you want to run a marathon. You want to start with like, people want to start with going out and running three miles because it feels like that's like, that's the shortest run in any training program, so you might as well just go do that. Right. But but what you need to do if you really haven't done much at all, or even if you're just not new to – I mean, even if you haven't been habitually running, you need to get out there and run for like two minutes or five minutes and get your brain used to the idea of I run after I get home from work or after I wake up. And it's not about like – it's not about making gains in your mileage. It's about making gains in – getting your brain to decide that this is the time you run and linking some sort of trigger to running. And uh, it feels like you're not getting anywhere, but you're getting, I mean, you're, you're getting tremendously far in your head and it just, you know, it, it, it takes a little while to show up. Right. So, so that, that kind of transitions into, into rich, right. You know, and his, his story and, and the story of, I think a lot of, a lot of people you've highlighted on the blog, like um, there's that girl, Wendy, that, that, um, Right. Kind of transitioned in, right? You can talk a little bit more about her. Yes. And and Susan and um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people take those steps, go from the couch, like you're talking about, to in Susan's case, um, an Ironman, you know, and uh, they do that relatively quickly, but they start with 
smaller steps and smaller goals and then end up at this big place. Right. And this this is a, the topic that we kind of chose um, for today's episode because as we were thinking about what kind of questions to ask Rich Roll, the, the biggest thing that jumps out to me and just when you look at his book, I mean, he's a vegan athlete, which is which is awesome. But I think the, the coolest thing about it is that he did all this stuff so quickly and after the age of 40. And neither of us can speak too much about after the age of 40 type <laughs> stuff. Um, but, but, you know, it's about making dramatic changes. So that was the question I wanted to ask him most of all. Like, like really, what do you think is responsible for your being able to, to make this kind of change and, you know, get to the place where you're doing an ultra marathon or Ultraman triathlon? Like, I don't, I don't know if it was, it was probably like two years after it seemed like he started running based on uh, what I remember from his book. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, that was what I really wanted to ask him most and, and find out and, and, you know, hopefully we can get him to talk for 10 or 15 minutes about that. But um, that, so we figured that would kind of be the topic and of, of our little discussion here. And Susan, Su- that's Susan Lakey. People think it's Lackey, but it's actually Lakey, I believe. And she <laughs> is uh, – her her title her official sounding title at No Mean Athlete is the resident triathlete because we like to have stupid tongue in cheek titles for people um, as if we're like a real legitimate business which everyone of course knows that we're not. I don't um, even think I have a title, do I? Uh, you're a resident guinea pig, I think. You, uh, you do all the experiments. You do fruit, or, you know, you didn't do the fruitarianism. You do you did juicing challenge and uh-huh, and, and now yeah. you're doing the vegan challenge so right, right. we'll just keep thinking up things like that guinea pig. okay all right that works your producer co-host and guinea pig of, <laughs> of the podcast and the blog Perfect. um but anyway susan her her claim to fame at least the way i see it is that she she went from really being a couch potato she was a smoker i'm not sure if she was smoking at you know up to the point she did her 5k i don't think so but she basically had just decided to do a 5k and Within 20 months of that, completed an Ironman triathlon. And for those who don't know, that's uh, – I think it's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike. I'm looking at her at her post here and trying to find that. Uh, yep, 112-mile bike and 26.2-mile run, which, of course, is a marathon. So it's basically – I mean, I don't know what, what it's equivalent to in running, but it's it's the equivalent of several marathons for sure. And – yeah, you know, it's like to put it in some perspective, what what that is to do that in 20 months. I, after I had run several marathons, I kind of got this little idea, this bug that I wanted to do an Ironman, and I have since lost that bug um, yeah. because <laughs> I just don't I don't want to learn how to do swimming. It just sounds miserable. But <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about it, and I was just thinking, man, I know I can do a marathon, but an Ironman just seemed impossible. Like I just can't imagine doing doing that much more stuff besides because I knew how gassed I was at the end of a marathon and just how I had nothing left. And I just couldn't imagine doing this 112 mile bike ride, which is equivalent to a marathon, according to a lot of people and swimming on top of it, all these different skills, how to, how do you train all that stuff during the week? And, you know, it just seemed like an overwhelming thing, even for me who had done several marathons at the time. So to imagine just, just not having done a 5k or maybe having just finished a 5k and saying, I'm going to do that Ironman as my next kind of big goal. Uh, you know, that's just crazy to me. And Susan did it in 20 months, which was amazing. And she wrote a post about it, which turned out to be one of, I mean, I think it's definitely her most popular post on No Meat Athlete and one of the more popular posts we've ever had. Mm-hmm. So we'll, uh, we'll put that in the link. But what it was was she said these nine sort of keys that 
that she thought really were what enabled her to to do that. And we won't go into all of them here, but I'm trying to think what like the ones that when I was looking at this earlier, the big one that jumped out at me because it's something that I saw that Rich had done, um, she had done. Wendy, who you mentioned earlier, Wendy by the way is someone who I actually met her like a month or two ago in Asheville. She was coming through, and oh. yeah, and she had used the marathon roadmap a long time ago. And wrote this nice little case study, or I did a case study with her, but she had lots of good information. Her story was really inspiring. How she had, you know, she had this idea that she wanted to run a marathon, and people said, you know, her friends and people kind of said, no, you, you know, they just kind of downplayed it. They said, no, you, you can't really do that. Um, that's for that's for crazy people who are who are great runners. And even her doctor, I think, kind of told her that it wasn't a great idea. And she ended up gaining weight and getting into a point where she was really at like a rock bottom, and just being really unhealthy. And then she just started running, and she started doing it, you know, she said one little step at a time. Like by the end of a summer, and this is what we kind of just mentioned, this idea that of really slow gains at first, but right. but you're building this habit. And she said by the end of this summer, after she had decided to do this marathon, um, she was running like, I don't know, she could run, I think it was like two miles or something without stopping. And, you know, that was several months that, that led to that, and it doesn't seem like you, she really gained much. But it wasn't all that much long after all that much longer after that that she ran her marathon. So that was kind of one of the big things is is this idea of of taking small steps. And I'm not sure if Rich is going to have a small steps version of his story. I know I know he did spend a lot of his training time um, at like a really low heart rate. Something I think it had to keep it below 140, which is like in that total aerobic zone, not not crossing the threshold at all. Right. And, you know, I, I consider that kind of small steps, like training for sure. – I don't know how much kind of time you put in, but but training like that certainly feels like small steps. And it's not exciting and it's um, – you know, it even feels like you're boring. It's like where – you know, am I getting anywhere and what's 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 the benefit of all this, which is exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other big thing that Wendy did and that, that all of us, I think, shared in, you know, in what – in our whatever transformations you and I have made, Doug, and then these, these more dramatic ones like Susan and Rich – and Wendy here, um, was that they picked something and said, I'm going to do this, even at a point when it seemed unreasonable. So for Wendy, it was this marathon. For Susan, it was the Ironman after she had only just run a 5K. And for Rich, of course, it was the Ultraman, which I think he he had recently attempted a half Ironman shortly after getting back into running, and it was kind of a complete failure. I think he DNF'd, and somehow he set his sights on the Ultraman. He, He decided what to do next after that. And like, what would be a good, inspiring goal? And the Ironman, he wanted to do, but then he realized how popular they were, and that it would be a year wait before he could do one. And and at that phase, he decided that, and he really he had just gotten back into running or back into any kind of fitness, I believe, like a year before this. And he said, a year is too long to wait. I can't do this. I'm gonna sign up for this other one, which is much less popular, basically because no one does it because it's impossible to to <laughs> do a double Ironman, but. He picked yeah. that one, and it was easy to sign up for. And I guess no, it wasn't easy to sign up for. He had to jump through some hoops to get into the race, but it wasn't full like Ironmans were. So, and then, and then you and I, we both, as you mentioned earlier, Doug, to me when we were talking before this show started, that we both went from being non-runners to being marathoners. Is that right, Doug? I mean, you did that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, my story is is not that dramatic, but um, I was, you know, I was kind of the kind of guy who goes to the gym a couple times a week, runs a few miles, spends a little time on the weights, you know, that kind of thing. And um, and then for some reason, one night, me and my roommate decided we were going to 
find a marathon, a local marathon, and um, signed up. I you know signed up that night. You know we had had a couple beers and probably weren't you know made a little mistake okay. and uh, okay. um, you know we signed up for the Baltimore Marathon and it was it was like five months away. It was it was a ways away, but you know and then all of a sudden you know the next day I woke up and had to find a training plan to run this marathon. Right. Yeah, and but, a lot of people say that like sign up for a race and that's that's the key to doing it because then you have to do it. And right. I don't think I don't think that really works for everyone. Like I think I think you need to be of the mind that like like you said you need to be kind of in this sort of crazy state where you just kind of do it. Like you're not doing it because you know it'll guarantee you do it. You're doing it because it just seems like an amazingly great thing to do and you're so excited about it that you can't sure. resist signing up and doing it. But it also, you know, it also took us we I think we did pretty well because we had enough time. You know, we we did a 10K and, you know, a 10-miler and a half marathon. You know, we, we took steps of race steps because neither of us had, had raced all that much. Um, took steps in races to build up to the marathon, you know. So it wasn't like, you know, it it was – I guess it wasn't that dramatic because we had we were taking these steps. Yeah, so, I mean, you weren't – it's true that you, that you ran intermediate races, but – from the t- what we're kind of saying is that you weren't a runner. You decided I'm going to run a marathon, right? And then you ran that marathon. I mean, you you got there in steps. And Susan did exactly the same thing. She that's one of her nine keys was to let's see what she said. Um, oh, build gradually. Key number four. She said focus on the next race weeks away, not on the Ironman months away. Right. So that's and and you know any any marathon training program almost will suggest that you do races kind of as as tuning sure. tune up races or to, to gauge what your pace should be and, and just to get used to race day experience like what it feels like and and having to suddenly go to the bathroom before the start <laughs> which which tends to happen yeah um and what was your you had a similar story to me right what was your story yes um our story was that i i and some college roommates were really into weightlifting and we were like totally into trying to get bigger and just put on muscle and we didn't care at all about running. None of us were running. None of us liked running. None of us ran, uh, except occasionally to like as like the fat burning part of our our routine or whatever. We we would do that uh, around like this indoor track that that they had at, at James Madison where I went to college. And uh, one we were just like kind of competitive with each other. So one of us was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do a half marathon so I can lose fat," and then. And then I was like, well, yeah, I'm gonna do a full marathon then. And then, and then I was like, yeah, let's all do a full marathon. And this was like, this was exactly like you described. We'd had a couple beers, and uh-huh. it just seemed like a great idea. So we picked San Diego Marathon because it was cold in Virginia, and we thought, oh man, San Diego would be great. <laughs> We're gonna go there and wear sunglasses and shave our heads and run a marathon. So big uh, we muscles all, and all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I actually, if you saw my marathon pictures, it doesn't even look like me. Like I was so much <laughs> heavier than I was now. And I was strong and muscular, but in horrible, like horrible physique for a runner. It was just, it was not, <laughs> it was not like the way to run a marathon. And if you looked at like my picture, I have this bandage around my shin because I had these horrible shin issues as, as a result uh-huh. of not knowing what I was doing. But all three of us did run and we all finished. It wasn't pretty. We took us like four hours and 50 minutes when we thought, we, we thought that day we were going to qualify for Boston. That was our goal. It was a 310. <laughs> and, like, and even, even like at mile five we were still keeping up that pace and we're like oh we we got it today we, we just had no idea like that that no kidding 10 miles in you would just crash and burn if you weren't able to run at that you know and obviously <laughs> and we were not at all trained for that so but but i mean so yeah it's funny and it, and it was stupid but 
we did it was the same thing you know we were not runners at all and we decided that six months from now we're going to run this marathon and we got it done which which is kind of cool that you can that anyone can do that sort of thing i mean if like if that was your if you didn't care about fitness and it wasn't really you didn't care about doing it fast and your goal was just run a marathon get across the finish line then then we did it so it's it's i don't know it's it's a story that is funny but i'm i'm proud that we actually got that done yeah and you're you know you're definitely going to gain fitness in the process i mean maybe not if you're not running you're not training that much but for me i went from you know i lost probably 15 pounds and um you know went became you know a a runner really you know i went from running two miles every other day on the treadmill to to doing 18 mile training rounds you know and and that was a big change for me yeah i mean i would say if you if you do it right then you almost can't help but to gain fitness it's possible i think that you could do it wrong and get yourself all injured like i did um but but yeah i mean if you're if you're someone who is you know if if you make that transformation from being non-runner to runner like if, if you really change and your mindset changes and you get serious about training then yeah you almost can't help but to but to gain some fitness and there are people of course who who gain weight during marathon trainings and they wonder why what's happening (laughs) but you know generally that's not that's not somebody who's out of shape and is training for their first marathon it's someone who like is a runner or is already super lean and fit and then they start training for their first marathon and they wonder why their body's put on five pounds and you know i think often often that's just an adaptation that for some reason your body needs that extra weight uh, I mean, there are a variety of reasons. Sometimes it could be because of, like, Brendan Brazier has talked about this, and he was gaining tons of weight during his training, and it was because of hormone issues. He determined that yeah. he, you know, he had, he had too much, he wasn't, he knew that his calories that he was taking in were, you know, far exceeded by the amount he was expending, and he couldn't figure it out. And finally, he realized that it was stress, and that his, his cortisol levels were too high, and all these things because of lack of sleep and overtraining and all this stuff. So, um, you know, it happens that people gain weight, but, but, as a rule, I would say yeah, it's it's a pretty safe bet that that if you are training for a marathon correctly and doing it well, that and if you're not in good shape, then you will gradually get in better shape. And if you follow the marathon roadmap or the right. half marathon, if you do roadmap, that, then you're guaranteed all your wildest dreams will come true, <laughs> even those unrelated to marathon training. <laughs> so yeah, so go do that. Definitely. <laughs> um. All right. So let's see. What else about Rich here do we have to talk about? Uh, not too much. I mean, we've kind of said these little things. And I'm interested, you know, without without leading Rich on and trying to make him say that, that yes, small steps are important and <laughs> making a big commitment is important. Without doing that, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what he says, you know, what he attributes this amazing change he made to and see if any of these sort of these themes present themselves. Um, so... That's, you know, that's kind of it. I guess Rich is going to join us in just a few minutes. So anything else, Doug, that we should mention before we before we get to him? No, I think that's it. So we can we can move right on into the interview. All right, let's do it. All right, so here we are with Rich Roll. Uh, Doug and I talked about him a little bit before and gave a little bit of a brief introduction. Uh, among other things, he's the author of Finding Ultra, he was voted one of the 25 fittest men in the world, I think, by Men's Fitness Magazine. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Rich. That's right. Uh, has, a, has a brand new podcast, or I guess it's not really brand new now, but it's still a fairly new podcast. Uh, has done extremely well for the short amount of time it's it's been around. And, uh, you know, just incredible athlete, amazing guy. 
uh, with a fabulous story of his own. So, Rich, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on here with us. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Matt, and I love what you guys are doing. And first off, Mazel Tov on the new addition to your family. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. It's, and it's, uh, it's... you're probably going on no sleep. Yep, absolutely. Last <laughs> night was a horse terrible. <laughs> Good. And, uh, and I'm psyched that you guys are doing a podcast. It's yeah. the future. It, it is the future. And, and, I, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that we were inspired by you. Uh, it, we'd kind of let it let it die a little bit uh, just just because, I don't know, I hadn't, hadn't seen. It was hard for me to tell, you know, what kind of results we were getting, if it was worth the time. But then I just saw how, you, how well yours was going. I was like, man, I bet you we could do something like that and get some people excited. So, um Good. It's great to great to have you on here, you know, to uh, hopefully get get people to your podcast from ours. You, I, yeah, I'd love, have, I'd love to have you guys on on mine too. I think it's all about you know uh, cross pollinating and and just trying to you know build the audience together. Yeah. So, Rich, um, we told your story a little bit, and most people will will know it from having read your book or listened to your podcast or just knowing about you online. But. Uh, it's it's a really great story. It's it's inspiring and it's interesting. So can you tell us just kind of a you know a relatively short version of it uh, in your own words? Yeah, sure. I'll try, I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, I was a uh, I was a swimmer in high school and in college. I swam at Stanford University, so I had a, I had a background as an athlete. Um, I you know I knew how to push my body and train, and you know I wasn't like Olympic caliber. I was pretty good, but I was kind of, you know Stanford had a great team and I was kind of a bench warmer there. So I I wasn't like a standout at that team. Um but when my swimming career ended, when college was over, you know that was kind of that in terms of of being an athlete, you know, and now you see a couple swimmers making a living at it, but that was never going to happen for me anyway under the best scenario. And so um you know after that I had a kind of protracted uh, struggle with uh, drug and alcohol addiction that really kind of, uh, you know, derailed my life for a good 10 or 15 years in there. And of course, during that period of time, health and fitness were really not part of my equation. And the irony that I'm now talking to you guys about, you know, health and fitness kind of stuff is still is still kind of ironic and hilarious to me. But uh, what happened was... Um, you know, I was able to, you know, I, I went to some pretty dark places and it was, it was pretty desperate. I mean, I got to the point where, um, you know, I was sort of unable to live, uh, you know, and, but, but not able to die either. It was pretty dark and lonely and, and, and just generally awful. And, you know, it's a long story, but eventually I hit my, I hit my bottom and was able to get sober. I ended up in a, re, in a rehab in rural Oregon for about a hundred days, um, that was a period of time in which I really, you know, kind of had to relearn how to live my life and was given some tools to kind of put the pieces back together and, and some principles, some guiding principles that still kind of dictate, you know, how I live today. Um, and as a result of that experience, I was 31 when that, when that occurred. Um, the next 10 years was really about trying to repair my life, repair my relationships, you know, at, at the darkest moment, I was alienated from my family. I didn't have any friends. I was, um, you know, unemployable and on the verge of homelessness, kind of sleeping on a bare mattress in an empty apartment with no furniture. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to get back on track and, and, and I was able to do that. You know, I was able to, um, by really focusing on recovery, repair those relationships, become a responsible member of society, 
uh, you know, show up when I said I was going to show up, tell the truth, look people in the eye and all, and all that kind of stuff. And as a result of that, I was able to kind of call together what from an outsider perspective, you know, could be considered to be the, the fruition of the American dream. You know, I was on the partnership track at a big law firm in Los Angeles. Uh, I met my wife. We got married. We had kids. We, you know, built this beautiful home that we live in. And uh, and everything kind of, you know, was seemingly great. But I had this like pit in my stomach that that I just felt unfulfilled. I was like there was something missing in my soul. You know, I felt disconnected from my body. I felt depressed. I was lethargic and I gained 50 pounds. You know, my diet at the time was what my friend, uh, I have a friend named Osher and he calls it the window diet. You know, if you can roll down the window and hand it to you, you eat it. like that principle you know fast food you know cheeseburgers french fries nachos pizza pizza hut taco bell like all that kind of stuff and you know i just considered myself too busy to pay attention to it and my eating habits were formed as a youngster as a swimmer when i was training you know three four hours a day and you know after swim practice you you know get a box of donuts and then go to mcdonald's and calories king and i never seemed to be able to get enough calories and you know, when swimming was over, those habits persisted and they, they were very difficult to break. Not that I even really wanted to break them. And I suppose when you're younger, you can get away with that for a while. But, you know, as I was inching towards 40, you know, it really all caught up with me. And, and by the time I was 39, I weighed 210 pounds. So I wasn't like super obese, like biggest loser candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hefty. You know, I looked like a typical, you know, guy in the partnership track at a law firm, you know, filled out the round head and, and the whole thing. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was it, so it wasn't so much about the weight um, as it was just this feeling of disaffectation that I had. Hmm. And it kind of came to a head um, shortly before I turned 40 when I kind of was up late. I'd gotten home late from work and was on the couch kind of my family was asleep and I'm watching late night television and kind of eating cheeseburgers out of a bag that I picked up on the way home and you know kind of sauntered to make my way to go to bed walking up the stairs in my bedroom and and had to stop like halfway up the staircase you know buckled over out of breath sweat on my brow and I kind of had a little bit of a panic attack like I I you know I tightness in my chest and, you know, heart disease runs in my family. My grandfather um, had been a champion swimmer. He was captain of the University of Michigan swim team back in 1929. And at that time, that was, you know, the Stanford University of its day in terms of being the best swimming program. And he was an American record holder, an Olympic hopeful, and, you know, a colleague of Johnny Weissmuller. And, and he remained fit and active his whole life. He continued to swim in Lake Michigan and and was a, was an all-around great guy and and ended up dying of a heart attack uh at age 54 you know mm-hmm. he, he wasn't weight he never smoked um and so my mother would always you know she he died when she was still in college and unfortunately i never had the chance to meet you know this guy that in in many ways it's kind of a doppelganger you know i was named after him he looks a lot like me and and kind of you know i had when i had that panic attack i kind of thought of him and i realized if i didn't make some serious changes in my lifestyle that I was headed in, in that direction. And, you know, I didn't want to die of a heart attack. Um, and because I'd had this kind of uh, moment of clarity getting sober, I was very attuned to this idea that these sort of moments of willingness uh, come along in your life and, and 
And it's critical that you seize them and act on them immediately and seriously, or they pass. And I was able to do that and get sober and it changed my life. And I realized that I was once again, having one of these moments and that it was crucial that I, that I do something immediately because if I just kind of blew it off, you know, a couple of days later, I, I would have, I just forget about it and go back to what I was doing. And, and that kind of launched journey that ultimately had me adopting, you know, kind of falling in almost by accident into a plant-based diet. It wasn't because, you know, I was reading nomeatathlete.com and watching Forks over <laughs> documentaries that are now available. I mean, this was what kind of preceded that, um, not, not, not by very long, but, um, got back into it almost by accident. And it's a long story. I'm trying to keep it short and I know I'm still being, <laughs> that's right. But what I found was that when I started eating plants, I felt better. You know, I felt like an amazing surge in vitality. And, and, uh, once I kind of switched into a hundred percent, you know, whole food plant-based diet, I couldn't believe the difference in how I felt. I was literally bouncing off the walls with energy and I, I couldn't remember the last time that I'd felt this good, like maybe ever. And, and I had so much energy that I kind of started this, you know, at first very slow uh, progression into, into fitness once again. And I had no aspirations of returning to competitive athletics. I honestly just wanted to kind of lose the gut a little bit and be able to kind of have the energy to enjoy my kids at their energy level. I mean, that was really my only goal and all the kind of Ultraman and, and events that, that followed really started from, from that place. And, and what happened was, you know, the more I, you know, I, I live in this beautiful area where there's trails all around and it's like cycling Mecca. My wife bought me a, a bike for my 40th birthday and, and I started enjoying just being outside and, and connecting with this part of myself um, that was so much a part of my youth that I'd kind of pushed aside and forgotten about. And I realized how much I loved it. And, and it was starting to fill that, that kind of void that I had, you know, that kind of hole in my soul. And the more I did it, the more connected I felt to my body and to my spirit. And, and I, you know, I became more productive. I became a better husband and father, more present. And one thing kind of led to another. And I, I had this kind of epiphany moment where I went out for a, a morning trail run and ended up, you know, running the better part of a marathon. I just felt so good. It was one of those days where everything clicked. And that's when I, Hey, I want to see, I wonder what I could do. You know, I wonder if I, if I actually trained for something, what, you know, what this body is capable of. And, and the question I really wanted to answer for myself was just how resilient is the human body? Because I'd abused myself for so long with drugs and alcohol and terrible food um, and, and by virtue of kind of adopting this plant-based diet had experienced such a sudden and, and significant, uh, resurgence in vitality. Like I couldn't believe how quickly I could feel good when I, when I treated my body correctly. And, and I wanted to see how far I could, you know, take that and, and what I would be capable of if I actually kind of trained and prepared to push myself. And, that led me to competing in a couple Ultramans and, and the Epic Five Challenge that I did in 2010. We can talk about. Sure. Yeah, and we should we should clarify what an Ultraman is for people who don't know. Rich, can you can you tell us what that is? So you know, most people have heard of an Ironman. An Ironman is a really long triathlon, and during which, in the period of one day, you swim 2.5 miles, and then you ride your bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon. And the Ultraman kind of takes it a step further. Um, it's a three-day stage race, 
during which you circumnavigate the entire big island of Hawaii, which is, for those who've never been there, is quite a large island. It's about the size of Connecticut. Mm. Uh, the first day, you do a 6.2-mile ocean swim, and then you get out and you get on your bike and you ride 90 miles, the last 20 of which is up this mountain to Volcanoes National Park. Like, the last 20 miles is basically climbing. Uh, and then the second day, you wake up in the morning and everybody starts again, and you ride your bike 170 miles around the eastern end of the island uh, up to the northwestern point, uh, a little town called Javi, which is the turnaround point for the bike course on, at the Ironman World Championships. And then the third day, you run from Javi back into Kona, which is a 52.4-mile run, a double marathon, uh, along the the lava fields um, that you've probably seen on TV if you if you watch the Ironman, so hot, uh, a hot and arid course, um, a lot of long straightaway highway. So that's it. It's and it's it's an interesting and what captured my kind of imagination and, and interest in doing this as opposed to an Ironman was a I had read an article about it and it just seemed like so different than Ironman. Like they, it was only 30, they select, they, it's an invitation only race. They select 35 people a year to participate in it. So they keep it really small, um, competitors from all over the world. And, uh, and every athlete has to bring their own crew that follows them in a van, takes care of them, feeds them and has spare bike parts and the like. And it's this kind of crazy adventure that all these athletes and their crews kind of, um, participate in a very communal way where the crews are helping out the other athletes and the kind of predominant uh, theme is to make sure that everybody finishes. And if one crew who's helping an athlete has to help out another athlete, they do. And in Hawaii, they call it ohana, it's the, the, it, which means family. It's sort of this family experience. And, and of course, it's a race and, you know, you know, you want to win or do well, but but more than that, it's really this shared experience. And there's no, you know, there's no money, there's no prize money, there's no media, there's no it's kind of like what Iron Man must have been like back in nineteen seventy-nine when it when it first started. And and I thought that was really cool and it's it's a really special event. Cool. So so Rich, there's probably a lot of people out there right now who are sitting on the couch, you know, feeling exactly the way you were, maybe a little overweight, a little lethargic, and you know, they maybe have tried to you know, change their diet and get in shape, you know, they probably don't want to run an Ultraman, but, you know, maybe a marathon or, or just even go out and, you know, participate in some local, you know, 10 milers or something. Um, you know, why do you think that you were successful and what kind of steps do you think that people should take to, to really, you know, embrace the new, the new lifestyle? Well, I mean, I guess it's a multi-part. I mean, the first part of it, you know, why do you think I was successful at it? I mean, how swimmer younger like i knew how to train i enjoyed pushing my body and i suppose that on some level i have a certain sort of genetic aptitude for it that you know i wasn't aware of right um, and i'm because of my <laughs> sort of addiction issues you know i'm prone to extremes that's for sure and i can be obsessive compulsive and sort of ultra endurance events are perfect for that <laughs> for that <laughs> you know, that's not everybody's cup of tea and, and i don't blame you and i think just for people out there that are looking to make a shift or, or you know, uh, you know, want to just get a little bit more fit or change your diet a little bit, uh -huh. the most important thing is to just begin. You know, when I began, I didn't have any 
big goal or anything like that. Like I just wanted to lose a little bit of weight or feel better, like I said. Right. And uh, and so I just started. You know, I didn't try to, you know, dictate where it was going to go or be kind of results oriented. Uh-huh. Uh, more changing my lifestyle. I wasn't interested in going on a diet. You know, I was interested in changing the way that I was living my life. And I made baby steps towards that. And I think one of the things that trips people up is, you know, A, they're very result-oriented. You know, it's all about, like, what the scale says. Um, you know, I don't even have a scale in my house. That has nothing to do with, you know, anything that I do. And the second thing is, is, uh, is letting go of this idea of perfection, you know. And I think that it, it, it really – it becomes a self-defeating principle for a lot of people because especially when you're talking about eating a plant-based diet or being vegetarian or something like that, it, it sounds severe and, and restrictive and, and it tends to make people think about what they can't eat in, instead of what they, what they, you know, incorporating new things into their life and into their diet. And it's inevitable that, you know, if you begin, like, let's say, oh, I want to eat plant-based and then you have a weak moment and you, you know, you end up eating a cheeseburger uh, instead of throwing up your arms and saying, well, that was, that was, you know, I only made it two weeks and I had a cheeseburger. This is obviously like impossible and I can't do it. So forget it. Right. And they throw the bath water instead of saying, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why I was craving that then. And, and you know, <laughs> what can do next time and just move forward and, and, you know, don't flog yourself and, and just try to, you know, make the next right choice and stay in the game. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, you know, literally. <laughs> about your life it's not about like you know what what's the scale going to say next month all right so let's get a little bit nerdy speaking of marathons with uh with the running and and i mean more more generally than just general endurance training but i i've been wanting to ask you this for a while ever since i read it about your actual training where you went through this period i don't know if it was the first six months it was like the phase one or phase two of your training and you you didn't let your heart rate get above 140 i think it was for for running right is that so, someone once emailed me and said, you know, like I, I don't know if I wrote about that once or something, and someone said, yeah, well, that's the that Mafetone method or Mafetoni. I don't know how to even say his name. Can yeah. you what what is that? Like, I mean, what what specifically were you doing? Was it just just your coach's specific program, or was it like a a known approach? Yeah, the idea behind it, yeah. I mean, there's a guy named called there's a coach called Phil Mafetone that kind of um, champions this this approach to to training and. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't read his books or whatever. I, I did hire a coach and kind of took direction. Uh, but I, the guiding principle for me was to develop a very solid aerobic base when I was preparing for such a long race. And having been a swimmer, you know, when I was a swimmer, every time I went to a workout, I would just go as hard as I could, you know, every every time, like jump in, warm up a little bit, and then just bang it out, you know. And I think that there's a lot of amateur athletes out there, whether you're preparing for a 5K or, you know, a 10K, a marathon, whatever it is, and you're time crunched because you have other responsibilities and you say, oh, I have an hour to train, so I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run as hard as I can or, or just, you know, sustain the best pace that I can for that hour. Uh, I think what, that, what happens is most people are training in, in what we call the gray zone. They're not going, they're not going slow enough to really develop their aerobic machine, but they're not going hard enough to develop the power and the speed. They just stay in this middle area where they're kind of inefficient way to train, where you're not really maximizing either of those two energy systems, which you need to, you know, maximize your potential and your, and your performance. 
And so you can reach a certain level of proficiency training in the gray zone, but you will quickly reach a glass ceiling. And, and, and that's why you see so many amateur athletes out there that kind of run the same times every year or they can't really seem to improve. And for me, it was about taking a step back saying, I need to, I need to develop my aerobic base. And yes, my coach said, you know, when you go out and you, and you run, I don't want your heart rate over 140. And when you're on the bike, I don't want it over 130. And now I get emails and tweets saying I'm running, you know, with my heart rate at 140. And I'm like, no, it's not. That was, that was based on a lactate test that I did. That was, (laughs) you know, for me, it was 140 for you. It might be something totally different. You know, it might be 150. It might be 130. I don't, I don't know. You know, you have to go out and do that test to figure out what it is. But the idea really is polarized training. You know, you're either your every workout should have a purpose, right? And so if you're trying to develop your aerobic base, then you have to be training that aerobic system, which trains your body to burn fat for fuel um, and, and is and is increasing your body's efficiency to utilize oxygen and develop uh, additional capillaries and blood pathways and and increase your mitochondrial density and all these things that kind of occur when you're in that fat-burning aerobic state. Um, And then on the other side of the equation to do those hard sessions that are improving your your strength and your speed and to stay out of that gray zone. And and when I I was doing my aerobic training, what I I, I stand by it and I believe it and I believe in it. Um, It's more time consuming than kind of the CrossFit endurance approach. It takes time and patience and it's kind of a multi-year approach to maximizing your performance. But if you're willing to, you know, check your ego at the door and start out in a humble, in a humble place and do it right, you will uh, take out an insurance policy on, on really maximizing your performance. And so what I found was that when I do that aerobic zone training, I am less likely to get injured. I'm able to train day in and day out without overtraining and getting run down and getting sick and the like, um, and slowly but surely kind of build the foundation of that pyramid, you know, that, that will, uh, that will, um, help me, uh, will help maximize my performance on, on race day, you know, six, eight, nine months later or what have you. And that foundation is probably not going anywhere. You know, you know, even if you took some time off, like you're building by building up that base, you're building up something that you can rely on in the future, too. Absolutely. And, you know, and I'm 46 now. And, you know, they say that that, you know, your aerobic base is kind of always there. And that's why you see so many ultra athletes in their 50s. Right. You know, they, they can continue to perform because they built that base up over so many years. And and, you know, unquestionably, you know, I still have base from when I was a swimmer 20 years prior. Hmm. So that de- I believe that definitely helped me. Um, and now, you know, at my age, it becomes important for me not to overlook the strength work because uh, that's the thing that fades with age. You know, you continue to, to that base and, and yeah, you can get out of shape or there's an off season, but, you know, with a little sort of focused work, you can tap back into it pretty quickly. And, you know, I t- year off because of my book and you know i continue to train a little bit but i didn't rate you know i certainly wasn't training the way i was when i was preparing for ultraman and now i'm kind of starting to get back fit again and uh and and i and i can feel that base you know i can feel myself tapping back into that that base once again like it's it's there it's always there to access it um and uh and i think that it's important for, for amateur athletes out there to kind of, you know, understand better, especially when you're time crumped, like, you know, what is the best use of this short amount of time that I have? And sometimes it's, it's going slow, 
you know, mm-hmm. sometimes slow, that's in your best interest. And, and, uh, and I think that there's a lot of people out there that don't fully understand that. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's a multi-year approach, but I mean, I mean, it, just to give it some perspective, this was, you went from, from basically that, that moment when, when you can't walk up the stairs or when you, you know, feeling winded going up the stairs to Ultraman, what was the time between there? Two or three years? Um, from the staircase to Ultraman was about two years. Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that's not a long time. You know, relatively. I mean, you know, most people will, will only ever dream of ever doing an Iron Man, and and you're talking about right. Know, twice. The staircase thing was 2006. My first Ultraman was 2008, and and I didn't hire a coach until about seven months prior to that. And so, you know, I crunched as much as I could for that race. But then I went back the following year in 2009 and I went about two hours faster at Ultraman, two hours, you know, from in one year. And then back in 2011, I ended up DNFing that race. I had, I had a, like a bronchial infection, but, but I got out of the water five minutes faster than I had in 2009. So, you know, and I did, I did Epic five in 2010. So it just, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to improve despite my age. Interesting. So um, you mentioned strength work. What what specifically are you are you doing for strength work now that you're back into training yep. again? I'd much rather be out running on a trail than in the gym doing yeah. work. And that's like that's like the thing that I have to force myself to do because I don't enjoy it as much. Um, but and and I and I should do more than I do. Quite honestly, um, I do a core workout that's about forty five minutes. That's a, that's a, you know several. Um, different types of body functional exercises. And then I do some light weights. I don't do like tons of power work. Um, and I have a lot of improvement. Uh, I think that if I focused more on, on the strength stuff that I could, that I could do much better than I do. And, and, you know, I'm a busy guy. I got four kids. I'm doing all this, you know, stuff. And, you know, I have the great blessing and to, to kind of have this, you know, audience and platform now as a result of the book, which now has me on the road traveling and, and that's making it more difficult for me to kind of prepare and train the way that I was able to a couple of years ago. So, uh, so, you know, balancing all of that is become much trickier than it was before. And, and, uh, I just, I do the best I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have the 25 hours a week that I had, you know, a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah, that's something interesting that I'd like to talk about. Is how what kind of tips, you know, most people aren't professional athletes, so they're not training all day and they they don't they have to work 9 to 5 and have kids and a family and need to come home and cook dinner. You know, what what kind of tips do you have for for balancing that family life and then, you know, training for something as huge as a, as an ultraman or just something like a marathon. You know, you were you were practicing law when you were first started training for the ultraman, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, just to be clear, like I'm I'm not a professional I don't have anybody that's paying me to do this you know and I've got kids and a family and I've got all the same responsibilities that everyone else is I'm self-employed so I don't have to show up for a boss nine to five like a lot of people do and and that makes it a little bit easier for me but I think that you know when I set out to train for Ultraman and I had to figure out how I was going to find all those hours I had to sit down and get really honest with how I was um, using my time every day. And that was not fun. You know, I literally sat down using like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week book as kind of a primer mm-hmm. and where am I wasting my time? And I itemized how I spent my time, like in 15 minute increments. And I realized how much fat was on the bone, you know, you know, I living in Los Angeles, there's a lot of driving. I used to drive from my house, which is kind of out in the boonies into Beverly Hills to have these work lunches 
I was like, those got to go, you know, that's a waste of time. You know, whatever I can accomplish in that lunch meeting, I, I can do on the phone, whatever, you know, sort of conference calls need to be pushed to email and, you know, how much time am I spending surfing the internet and how much time is just, you know, doing stuff that is a luxury and is not, you know, moving forward in terms of achieving these goals. And I had to make some cuts, you know, I couldn't come home and watch late night television. You know, in fact, I cut television out completely. Uh, and, you know, I did a, a system that made it work, but, you know, it's not sustainable for me to train 25 hours a week and, and, and be married and have kids like I was able to do that for a six month period to prepare for this race. Uh, but you know, I can't do that 365 days a year. So, you know, I am sympathetic and empathetic to, to the sort of challenges that, you know, the every man faces in terms of these things. But I will say if to me, well, I just don't have time for that, or it must be nice, you know, you have this lifestyle where you can do it. And I'm like, Hey man, you know, I had to make a lot of cuts. Like I had to cut a lot of stuff that I enjoy doing and make some sacrifices to work. And if somebody's serious about, a goal, whether it's a marathon or, or what have you, you know, look at your time. I guarantee you can find wait, there's wasted time in there where you can find an extra hour or two every day to uh, to get out there and uh, move the ball forward. But, you know, it, it takes it takes a little you got to you, you got to snap a little denial and look at yourself objectively in the mirror and and uh, and um, and get honest, really. That's cool. I didn't know that you. I knew that you were. You somehow knew Tim Ferriss because you wrote that great post on his blog about all the superfoods and everything. But uh, I, I did not know that you used Four Hour Workweek, you know, as as part of this whole, you know, well, Ultraman training and everything. I've never, I've never met Tim face to face. I had read Four Hour Workweek, and that was helpful when I was preparing for my first Ultraman and kind of reorganizing my life. Um, and then uh, in 2009, like just after the second Ultraman, he got in touch with me when he was working on four hour body because he was looking for some vegan athletes. Right. So he interviewed me for that book. I didn't end up in the book, but I, so I was, I had a connection to him. So that's why he was nice enough to let me post on his blog when my book came out last year. Oh, I see. I'm sure you didn't get much traffic from that guest post, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, Rich, the other thing I wanted to ask you about while we're still on the topic of family stuff, and this is maybe somewhat personal, but people always mas- ask me this question. Speaking of this, if you just heard my son yelling and running through the hallways, that's um, related. Um, I wanted to know what what do you do about you and your wife about um, raising your kids as far as diet goes? You know, are you my my personal thing is that we we want to encourage them, our kids, to be vegetarian and vegan uh, as as gently as possible and like fully explain why we are, but sort of let them make choices and not miss out on birthday parties and be be the kids who can't you know eat at McDonald's or whatever. So. That's kind of our personal thing. I'm just curious about what what your point of view is on that. Um, you know, raising kids as as vegans or vegetarians or just healthy eaters, if it's something you're up for talking about. Of course, um, it's a great question, and uh, I would say that 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 our approach is pretty similar to what you just articulated. Um, you know, I've got four kids, two teenage boys that are are uh, 18 and 16, and then two little girls that are nine and five, um, and it's been a very gradual kind of process of finding our way with it. Um, right now, I would say that the, the two teenage boys are 95% vegan. Actually, the older one, 18, the 18-year-old 18 Tyler, he's, a, he's totally in 100%. And he came to that on his own, not because of anything that we dictated to him. And the little boys are about 90%. And the kind of principles 
the guidelines that we use really is just to, um, you know, fill our house and our kitchen with super healthy plant-based foods. And, you know, I'm lucky in that my wife is a great cook and she makes delicious meals that, that make it a lot easier. Um, but don't have hard and fast rules. You know, when the little girls get invited to a birthday party, they want to eat the pizza. They're, they're welcome and, you know, to do whatever they want without any repercussions or shame or, or lectures or anything like that. Like have a, but we just try to educate them about healthy eating um, so that they are empowered with the tools to make the best choice for them. And I think when you take the hard and fast rules out of the dialogue, then there's nothing to rebel against so that when the kids reach 14, 15, they don't say, hey, screw you, mom and dad. Like, we're going to go, I'm going to go eat this and I'll show you. I'm so sick of these rules. Like, there's none of that. It's like, hey, you know, you're your own sovereign being and, you know, do what you feel is best for you. When we're at home, this is how we eat. And, and, uh, and the other thing that I think is really helpful is we take the kids shopping with us and we, you know, and we're picking stuff out. We explain why we're getting this and why we're getting that. And then when we come home, we involve them in the meal preparation. You know, we actually teach them and let them help prepare the meals. And what that what that's been amazing because what happens with that is they develop an emotional connection to the foods that they're eating, and they develop a sense of pride. Like, hey, I know how to make like the little girls know how to make chia seed pudding that <laughs> tastes exactly like chocolate pudding, and they love to make it. And so that's their their go to dessert of choice because they, you know, they know how to make it and they love making it. And so I think the more we do that kind of stuff, then the more kind of invested they are in in this way of eating and living. And again, it's it, it's not about perfection. You know, it's about this this lifestyle and uh, and and giving them respect instead of talking down to them, you know, treating them like they like I said, they're sovereign their own decisions for themselves and, and just trying to help guide them and, and kind of be an example. I mean, the most important thing is you can't be duplicitous. You know, you have to walk your walk. If you're going to tell them, you know, Hey, we eat like this, then, you know, they can't catch you, you know, going through the drive through, you know, <laughs> Yeah, right. kids are smart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I, I'm glad to hear that. That's, it's so similar to what, you know, the way we've, we've thought about things and um, you know, everything from having, having them help cook and having them come to the grocery store and, you know, our son asks why we can't get stuff, and we say, "Well, that's junk food. We don't eat that." And he's like, "Well, why do why do other people get that?" And it's just, you know, it's it's a conversation. He's only three years old, and he has it, and he does really start to understand, you know, kind of the idea that that just, uh, you know, we we choose healthy food, and and it's worked so far. So I'm I'm really glad to hear that similar philosophy has worked for you guys up to this point. Speaking of uh of the recipes, you you're are you still selling the, the Jai Seed Cookbook? I am, yeah. It's just a like a digital download PDF. Um, yeah, and it's fantastic. Like I know it sounds like a cheesy plug to go right into that, but it it really is good. And I we make the uh, the cookies from there all the time with the with the raw cacao and almonds and stuff like that. So yeah, fantastic well, book. Follow up to that. I want to do like a hardcover cookbook too. So that's in the works. But yeah, that that JC cookbook has been great. A lot of people love it, and it's super cheap. And you know, it's got all the recipes in it that. You know, we kind of developed my wife, when I say we, I mean my wife, Julie, <laughs> trainingly, she would say, well, what am I going to feed this guy when he comes back from this ridiculously long run or ride? You know, I've got to repair his body. And she came up with all these great recipes that are also very family friendly because 
she's like, well, if I'm going to make this, like it's got to be, the kids have to like it too. So um, it's very accessible for somebody who's kind of new to this way of eating. And it's, you know, if you're scared, like, oh, it's not going to taste good or, or what have you. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's accessible and it's still at the same time is really, really healthy food. Like it's, it's healthier than, I think actually you described it once as kind of high vibrating last time we talked, like just more foods that are more, much more alive than you'll find in a, in a regular vegan cookbook. And you know, at the same time being, being, like you said, family friendly. So it's, it's very good. Nice little balance there, Rich. And I think also, you know, it's about the whole, I mean, you know, we're in this amazing time where, you know, eat this vegan lifestyle, this plant-based lifestyle has never been more kind of um, popular. And, you know, if you live in an urban area, you have facile access to a lot of these great foods, but you have to be careful too, because now there's all these processed vegan foods, like all these vegan, you know, kind of meats and cheeses and all that. And, and, uh, and you have to be careful with that because, you know, you could, it's easy to say, well, I'm eating vegan, so it's healthy. But if you're eating all, you know, all kinds of processed, you know, vegan foods, you know, that may not be so good. But it's great for somebody who's new and is, afraid of, you know, you know, of the unknown. I think they work really well to kind of helping introduce somebody to this way of eating and then setting them on their own, you know, journey or trajectory with it. Was your wife vegan when you first start? When you first, uh, you know, when you had that walk up the stairs, or did she no. go on the journey with you? Well, I mean, my wife had always been very health conscious, and she's a yoga teacher and. You know, she's studied Ayurveda and all these sorts of things. So she was always, you know, super, she wasn't fully vegan. She ate, you know, mostly vegetarian, but, you know, she didn't have any kind of rules about it. Right. Uh, and, but that was like when I started out, you know, she was my resource. Like, how am I going to do it? And I ended up going vegan like long before she is now, right. um, result of kind of seeing how it, it changed my life. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't start out that way. Interesting. All right, Rich. Well, um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we let you go, um, I do want to talk about your podcast a little bit. Like I said, it's fairly new. Uh, it's been incredibly successful. You've had some really great names on there. Uh, Michael Arnstein was one that I was excited to see on there the other day or the other week, I guess. And uh, just just wrote a, I wrote a post today actually about uh, I had not heard the episode, but then Doug told me about it where you got you and the, Andy Bellotti, is that his name? Andy Bellotti, uh-huh. Yeah, well, you guys were talking about the two tribes and the paleo versus vegan and how, you know, we really are all want the same thing, really. I mean, aside from the animal ethics, obviously, but that we want a better food system and we want people to be healthier and that, it, you know, it should be about working together at least at, to the extent that it's possible. And, uh, you know, it's just a tremendous amount of good issues like that and just a lot of stuff, um, some, you know, in much more, I would say, greater depth than we talk about on No Mean Athlete, more more uh just more of the surrounding issues i think outside you know along with the the elite athlete type stuff which is fantastic so it's worth checking out is there anything else rich i mean how how would you sum up this your podcast and what you're trying to do with it um yeah thanks for pointing it out i'm having a ton of fun doing it i started it in december and my approach um is i get i i try to get one guest on and then we just have a really long form conversation and I, I don't set it up like, oh, it goes an hour or it goes a half an hour. I just let the conversation go as long as it wants to go until it feels like it's played out. And that's when I hit stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's been great about it is I love bringing people on the show 
I mean, it's, it's great to have people like Michael Arnstein and I had Chris McCormick, Maca on the show and like kind of, you know, noteworthy people that a lot of people have heard of. But I also like to have people on the show that people have never heard of and, in, you know, who I feel like have a compelling message and, and allow them to share. And it's been great. You know, it's been really, really fun and it's enriched my life. And uh, and and, you know, like you said, um, it's not just people that are plant based. You know, I've had I've had lots of paleo people on the show. Right. And there's all this kind of, you know, uh, energy behind trying to get, you know, what me to have some kind of, you know, shoot out at the OK Corral with going to like have people in the jungle and, and somebody's going to come out on top in that argument. And I'm not really interested in that. You know, like I, I try to treat everybody with respect and the paleo people, you know, they want people to be healthy just like I do or you do. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of similarities in these approaches and we have our differences, but that doesn't mean that we can't have, you know, a mature adult conversation, try to find some common ground and help it. You know, I just, I'm trying to help as many people as I can. And I think, you know, when you get caught up in these labels, whether it's vegan, vegetarian, paleo, low carb or whatever, you know, it's, it's human nature to kind of want to be a member of a team and rally behind that. But I think that, you know, at times it can be counterproductive because we end up in these quibbles and we lose sight of, of the forest for the trees. And it, it ultimately ends up confusing people. And, and uh, I think there's a better way of kind of navigating all of it. So um, yeah, I like to have a wide variety of people on. I mean, I've had entrepreneurs on that aren't even athletes. I've had, you know, like I said, paleo people, I've had, you know, the ketosis, you know, no carb people on, I've had athletes, I've had nutritionists, dietitians of, of all walks of life. And it's been really fun. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, it's finding an audience and I'm trying to uh, kind of take it to the next level professionally. And my biggest thing with it is that it's busy, that uh, I'm a little erratic in how often I do it. And I want to set up a system where I'm doing two a week and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to set some things up right now to make that happen. But it's been great. And I hope that uh, you guys will, will come on the show at some point. Oh, absolutely. We'd, yeah. we'd love to. And I, I'm doing exactly the same thing with trying to be more, uh, you know, less erratic, I should say, with, with blog posts, not, not the podcast. But I'm trying to get to two a week, just like, just like you said. So it's funny. But I also like what you said about having um, people on there who, you know, aren't necessarily celebrities or known elite athletes or anything yet. Like uh, uh, Sid Garza, is that his name? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I I'd never heard of him, and he I, I get a lot of I mean not not that like I'm some super whatever blogger celebrity, but like get plenty tons of book book review things like more than I can possibly read. And he he had mentioned to me in his that he you know I mean when he wrote to me he said that he was on your podcast and like that made me take a second look and then get the book and now my wife is reading it and it looks really really good from what I've seen so I'm looking forward to writing about that. But I think it's just cool that you can you know that you're bringing attention to people who. Just whose 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 philosophies and teachings you really believe in, or or just think they're interesting and worth discussing, um, you know, giving them a a little bit larger platform to to get some good stuff out there into the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so grateful that I have you know an audience and a platform, and and you know I love bringing people on and 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 letting them access that. You know, when I think that they have a message that's that's worthy of hearing, and it's great, it's gratifying to be able to do that. So guys like Sid and and other people, yeah, I mean that's it's so fun to do. Yeah, so where could people check that out? Where's the best place? Just go to iTunes and search for the Ritual Podcast, or would you rather them go to your site first? Or what's what's the best way to to subscribe so, to that? 
So, yeah, I mean, you can go to iTunes just uh, in the search window, type in Rich World Podcast. It'll come right up and you can subscribe there. Um, that's the best way. If you subscribe, that would be great. Uh, and I also host it on my website, richroll.com. So I do like a blog post for each episode. And I usually put on YouTube a little like two to three minute, uh, you know, trailer of, you know, what you can expect in the, in the episode. Um, so you can go to my YouTube channel also, which is youtube.com uh, backslash richroll66. Awesome. And we will put links to that stuff uh, at the, at the, underneath the show on, on nomeatathlete.com. And uh, last thing, Rich, I know your book is coming out in a paperback edition, and you and your publisher have been nice enough to offer up some giveaway copies for No Meat Athlete readers, so we'll we'll put some sort of little contest thing together having to do with this post, and uh, people can enter to win that. So I assume then, you know, if a book goes to paperback, that means it's doing fairly well, right? Yeah, it's been great. Um, the book has, you know, succeeded beyond my wildest imaginations, kind of being a first-time writer and everything, and and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, you know, that they're, that it's coming out in paperback. I've been, you know, I'm still new to this whole publishing world, but I know that not every book, you know, reaches a, a sort of point where it becomes worthwhile for a publisher to issue a paperback. And the fact that they're putting it out is great. Um, it comes out on May 21st. Uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon and, and get it the day that it comes out. And I'm super excited because, they just told me that uh, Barnes and Noble is going to kind of put it up front on those upfront tables. Nice. Cool. So, so I'm really excited about that and then starting to work on uh, the next book. Oh, neat. I didn't know there was another one coming. That's fantastic. So all good, man. So when's your book coming out? <laughs> scheduled for October 1st or so, but it's been, it's been delayed before, so I won't be surprised if it moves a little bit, but it's, it's getting there. It's uh. It's, it's pretty much out of my hands at this point, so that's that's kind of a relief. Well, well, uh, sure. well keep me posted on that. And, of course, um, you know, I'd like to have you on that show sooner rather than later, but also, you know, you should come on right before it comes out. Absolutely. I really appreciate that, and I will most certainly take you up on that. So, all right, Rich, thanks a lot. Um, the book is Finding Ultra, by the way, in case those people you know, have not heard of it somehow. Of course, we'll link that at the bottom, too. It's a fantastic book. Um, I, I personally liked – I just like how – how personal it is and how much how much of it is about what's going on in your head while you're doing this stuff and training for stuff and like you mentioned dealing with family stuff and money issues and time and it's just it's not what i expected from like an elite athlete book i thought it would be much more about uh i don't know just kind of race recaps and kind of things like that so i just i just love that personal side of it i thought it was really good for that reason and uh, i'm sure everyone else will will find find it interesting as well so uh, thank you very much, Rich. We appreciate your time, as always, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. I really appreciate being on your show. All right. So here we are back, just me and Doug, after talking to Rich. Uh, that was great, as we both expected it to be, I think. And, um, you know, we just wanted to kind of connect it back to what we had talked about at the beginning. Um, we didn't get too much into, you know, how he did it so quickly, but... But, you know, it's amazing that he kind of, you know, brushed over that, like like that uh, his, his former training is a multi-year plan. So that, right. <laughs> that means two years instead of one or six months. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so and, and like he said, though, he was a Stanford swimmer before. And I, I can totally see, like, understand what he means when he says that he thinks that aerobic base probably stuck with him even after those years and years of not doing anything or, or doing very little. And, uh, you know, I, I've noticed that in my training, too. Like, I feel like after having run... A marathon, I could go several months and even get out of shape, like become in 
bad shape, put on fat. Um, and still, if you then told me to go out and run 10 miles, I, I would be able to get it done. And right. not, you know, even when I'm not in any sort of training mode and not because I'm in any kind of good fitness at that point, but I think you just sort of learn, I think your body learns to run, whether that's, whether that's the same as developing an aerobic base or whether there's something more going on with, with neural connections and, you know, how your body learns to fire muscles. But I mean, you know, it would hurt, but you could get through a 10 mile run if you've done a marathon and you've taken several months off or maybe even more time than that. So, yeah. you know, I totally believe what he said. And, and I don't, for that reason, I don't know that, that you know, couch to Ultraman is a is a realistic two year goal. But you know, who am I to say that that you shouldn't go after anything at all? So sure, but you know, but he also talked about how for him, you know, he was still taking baby steps. He was still just getting out the door, and you know, the point was to just lose a few pounds and um, you know, get in shape a little bit. It wasn't it wasn't this big vision, you know, that to run an Ultraman that got him going. So. You're right. And the other thing that he mentioned, which he didn't say it explicitly, maybe, but he said. He mentioned the idea of his training method, at least at first, compared to one where you were, for a full hour, going at a really hard pace. You know, the, the hardest pace you can muster for an hour. Right. And he was kind of saying that makes his method, or at least at least the method he used, his coach's method, um, makes it more time-consuming and somehow less exciting. But I think what, what also is going on there is that Susan mentioned in her post, and I think both you and I, Doug, would agree that in our own experiences um, – Enjoying something is is such a huge part of making it stick and sticking with it and making progress with it. Um, granted, there are times, like he said, for hard workouts, but I think if you're putting in 20 hours a week, it's very, very difficult to make those 20 hours intense. I mean, you, most of them sure. need to be really, really low intensity, not just not just so that your body has time to recover, but so that your head can can handle it. I mean, if you're, it takes a lot of mental energy to do that, and if it's not fun and relaxing for a, for a large amount of the time. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine someone training like you need to, to to do an Ironman, much less an Ultraman. Yeah, definitely. So sounds like uh, you know, it sounds like there are some some common principles there. I don't know that that we have uncovered the secret to uh to ultra endurance fitness in two years or less. Um, but it was cool that Rich mentioned Tim Ferriss because he's someone who I'm you know I'm a big fan of all of his books and just his his different techniques for kind of hacking time and. Right. Not habits, but but learning this meta learning idea, learning things quickly, and uh and as you know as we said in the interview, Rich has been he guest posted on on Tim Ferriss's blog, which is pretty cool. Not many people get to do that. Definitely, cool. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up. Um, that was great. Thanks again to Rich for doing that, and please everyone check out his podcast. Go there and subscribe. Um, it's better than ours. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, ours is not good compared to his. So uh, <laughs> go on there and listen to his. And check out his website. The Jaisi book is really good. I wasn't just saying that to, like, you know, insert your own phrase there. But uh, it, it, it's a great book. We, we've really loved it. We cook a lot of things out of it. There are four or five recipes that we cook all the time. They're kind of in our, like, standard set of recipes now. Yeah, I don't have that book. i got to check it out. Yeah. I can send you a pirated copy. No. Now <laughs> you're talking. No, I would never, ever do that, Rich. <laughs> I will buy it, Rich. We promise. All right. Um, and the only other thing that we, we neglected to mention in the first part of this was that uh, Susan and I are working on Triathlon Roadmap, which we've we've hint, kind of – in a few of her posts, we've hinted at that before, and she's linked to it. Um, but we'll put a link there in the show notes of how you can go sign up to get notifications of that. It's essentially, you know, the marathon roadmaps and half marathon roadmaps, which are uh, were my guides for people, you know, vegetarians and vegans who want to run their first 
marathon or half marathon. And they've been really successful. People have really enjoyed them. We get tons of tons of emails and things about how you know how how grateful people are that that it helped them get through the marathon and all that. So this is a triathlon version of that. I've never done a triathlon version, so I'm I mean never done a triathlon myself, so I'm far from qualified to write anything about training for one. But uh, Susan, on the other hand, you know has has done an Ironman and a half Ironman or maybe two half Ironmans now, uh, and and is having a friend of hers who is a as a professional triathlete check it out and you know kind of sign off on a lot of stuff. And I'm just going to be contributing some nutrition stuff, uh, very similar to what's in the in the other roadmaps. But um, you know that that'll be available sometime in in June, we think. So just kind of stay tuned for that. We'll put the link at the bottom where you can sign up to get get notifications about that. And do, um, do you know if it'll be will it be focused for short triathlons or yeah, Ironman type yep. focus? The, no, the the focus is on doing your first triathlon, and a first triathlon generally should be a sprint triathlon. But it's I mean, just because it's it's that's that's what you generally would do. Like you said, you would you would generally want to do a 5K or a 10K before you really go do your marathon. Sure. Um, and and especially with triathlon because we really kind of we like what we did was as far as Susan's section goes about training, we made her imagine that she was writing it for me, someone who was a runner, had maybe even done marathons and things like that, but didn't know the first thing about getting into the pool or you know what what kind of bike do you need to buy? Do you need to even buy a bike? All that kind of stuff, and so we, you know, we just figured with with all those those sort of hurdles to to get past, it's a, it's enough to to worry about that and not worry about you know doing a marathon at the end of your 112 mile bike ride and 2.4 mile swim. So we <laughs> focus on the sprint. Um, but anyway, that will be out soon. So uh, we'll keep you posted. Great. So I guess that's about it. Too much else to say. I think I I'm really happy with how that interview went. I think it was it was really good and. Uh, very cool that Rich invited us to be on his podcast too. I, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of surprised, but that's that's neat. So thanks a lot, Doug. Thank you, Rich, and yeah. uh, thank you everyone for listening. That's right. Thanks for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. All right.